Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. It's broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed live via the 3CR website. Podcasts are available via the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites and via iTunes. Welcome to Freedom of Species. I'm Kate Gracie. Today I want to talk about the vital role that wildlife rescuers and wildlife carers play in our community. So Graham Linsell has joined me in the studio and Graham's a wildlife rescuer and carer based here in Melbourne. He's going to give us some valuable insights of what's involved and what all of us can do regardless of our commitment availability. Welcome to Freedom of Species, Graham. Thank you, Kate. Your life must be an emotional roller coaster, Graham. Tell me, you've got life, death and everything in between all the time. What's it like? It is rewarding and also very, very sad when you see the animals when at their most vulnerable. They're a species, whether it's a, a bird or to one of our major raptors, um, they're all succumbed to human interference at some points in time. And, yeah, it's very, very sad to say goodbye to them sometimes. must be immensely rewarding, though, when you get to release them into the wild. Ah, that's the cream. That's, that's the golden moments that we live for. Um, as a wildlife rescuer, you you see a lot of uh, heartache, but the the release, uh, I think there wouldn't be a rescuer out there that hasn't shed a tear for one as it says goodbye. Yeah, I just watch it. Uh, sometimes I've seen uh, releases on like on Facebook, yeah. and just watching. So just being even with that removal, and just watching someone else release an, an animal that's been rehabilitated and releasing it back into the wild, and I've shed a tear just just feeling that joy. Yeah. It is an emotional uh, high, yeah. realistically, because the the time that you spend with them, the respect of the animal that you show it, the respect that that animal shows back to you, you do become, um, you can easily compare it to a domestic pet, although they are a wild animal. We don't ever take that for granted. Um, and, yeah, it's saying goodbye to a loved one yeah. in a way. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, let's talk about wildlife rescue first before we move on to wildlife care. How many native animals do you reckon you've rescued in your role as a as a wildlife rescuer? That's countless. Um, Just rough. I, yeah, I mean, hundreds? I, Are you talking about? Oh, yeah, there'd be hundreds. I've been doing this for about six years, and in that I'd probably do anywhere between sort of up to 10 during a week. Wow. And so, therefore, that could be uh, – 10 would be a lot, but there could be easily sort of five or six rescues each and every week of different species. So, multiply that. So, six by five, 300, 300 a year through six years. So oh, wow. You're talking – Yeah, thousands. Thousands. That's crazy. Now, what species would you 
would be the most common species for you in your area? I live out in the northwestern suburbs out near the airport and one of our main species there is the kangaroos, our eastern grey kangaroos. Ah, oh, yeah, there's heaps um, around Tullamarine, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. Um, on the north side of Tullamarine there's uh, Woodlands Park, which has got a, a, a very large mob there. But um, even out through Romsey, et cetera, Craigieburn through to Wepping, et cetera, there's um, kangaroos there as well and they tend to get, when you've got cars travelling at the speeds that they do, a kangaroo rarely fares well. So that wouldn't be representative of the rest of Melbourne, would it? So you've got different pockets of Melbourne would have a different sort of common species that gets rescued? Yeah. Uh, Out there as well, I've rescued echidnas, I've rescued raptors as well. Um, So hawks, falcons, owls, etc. They're also out now uh, in that habitat. Even in the city, we have animals such as microbats, which are only sort of two or three inches long. And um, we even have peregrine falcons that roost on the roof of top, yeah, the rooftop of buildings. Wow, nice. They're, they are our fastest animal in the world. Wow, how fast? In descent, they've been measured at three hundred plus kilometres, three fifty, three sixty kilometres an hour. That's in insane. A, in an attack descent. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, they're they're a beautiful species, and uh, unfortunately, they don't sometimes see windows. And they mm. impact that. You have birds, possums are always a regular yep. um, animal that needs to be rescued. Yeah, right. So, what are the what are the common causes or reasons for um, an animal, a wildlife incident? Human involvement, car crashes. You're talking deforestation, um, taking down of trees, etc. Because so many animals live in the trees, whether it be possums, birds, etc. They rely on the trees. People. Uh, not indiscriminately, but people going, oh, no, we no longer need that tree or the tree in the backyard is deceased, that's still a habitat. Mm-hmm. Many of our cockatoos, corellas, rainbow lorikeets um, nest in these trees. Mm-hmm. And so by taking away that, you're taking away their habitat. Yeah. Um, microbats also rest in, uh, roost in deceased trees. So you're talking about a rescue with it when a tree's come down and then someone realises there's a, there's, a, there's a nest of sorts inside it. Or, yeah, even just felling the tree. Recently there's been a possum family that was rescued from a tree because the tree loppers were engaged to take down this tree and there was a family of ringtail possums there. And so, thank goodness, they had the kindness in their heart to stop the works. Rescuers went out there, rescued the got the dray down out of the tree and therefore the possums were rescued and therefore relocated. Oh, that's a really happy ending in that there wasn't any um, damage done. You could just relocate the the dray, the dray being the nest. Yeah, Yeah. and that was all thanks to the people that were taking engaged to take down the tree actually took the time and had a heart. Yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah, considered the animals sentient beings. That's really good. You said you, you attend a rescue maybe... You know, 10 times a week. How do you d- juggle that with your day job? Because you have a full-time job, right? Yeah, I have a nine-to-five job. Um, it's a rescuer can elect how how open they are or when they're available to do the rescues. Oh, okay, right. So a lot of my weekends are spent doing rescues. Occasionally I'll get a call during the week after work or even during work. Right. I've had an early lunch break at times to go <laughs> off and attend to. I have gone and got some lorikeets and a grey-headed flying fox one time. So your it's employers are obviously very um, patient, forgiving, accommodating. 
Yeah, they they allow me that latitude. That's great. Um, but on the weekend, Saturdays are mainly committed to rescues and half the Sundays. So I try to have half a day off where I can do my normal or our normal domestic things. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's such a thing as a typical rescue. That might not a typical rescue may not exist. But can you just talk us through the, the steps of what happens with a rescue from the time that you receive your your call or you you commit to to your organisation to to attending that particular rescue until its final resolution. Just talk us yeah. through those steps. The It totally depends on your preparation as to what the animal is. So the way you'd go about rescuing a, for example, a wedge-tailed eagle is totally different to the way that you'd go off and rescue a lizard. So okay. therefore... Um, but your mind immediately starts racing. What is it you're walking into? What's happened? How how did the animal become in this position? So, And as well, you start preparing your vehicle or sometimes for an eagle, you need to add additional things in, but other times you need to just, your car's ready. You leave and go off to the rescue. You're often calling the person that reported it, trying to find out exactly what's happened, what state the animal's in. Is it alive? Is it dead? What you know? How's it reacting? Uh, that's forming a picture for you as you drive out. When you get there, of course, your own safety is paramount. You approach the animal. Uh, different animals you approach in different ways. You also are very cognizant of the animal and its injury, so you don't exacerbate it. You capture the animal and take it to a vet for veterinary check or um, assistance sometimes. Unfortunately, we have to say goodbye to them, but otherwise, then if it's deemed okay, it will then go into care. Okay. So, and to, when it goes into care, that's to a a licensed wildlife carer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you reckon is the approximate ratio of rescues that end well? Like, I mean, that the animal eventually returning safely to the wild? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's probably less than 10%. Wow. In, in really? my. In my case, um, we see a lot of injured kangaroos, which I attend. We attend a lot too, and in doing so, a lot of them have fractured legs, which can't be healed. They're a mob animal; they need to stay with their mob, etc. Um, and they do die of stress. So, kangaroos, unfortunately, we need to say goodbye to them. But things such as birds, possums, and even our flying foxes, we can release, and we have a higher success rate because. Sometimes their injuries aren't as bad. Okay. Are there sufficient rescuers in, in Melbourne and across the state, or is there is there a need for more? Um, not quite sure how to make this clear. We need more. <laughs> <laughs> so consider this a recruitment. <laughs> we need more rescuers. Sign here. Yeah. 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 We it's a problem shared is problem halved. Yeah. And okay. so the more we have, it would be great to have a rescuer on every street corner. That's not going to happen. We understand that. But um, it just lightens the load and the burden on everybody. Mm. Uh, if we've got our carers out doing rescues, they're not at home caring for their animals, and yeah. that is what their specialty is. Mm. So, you know, it's I say we need four things. We need the public to call us. We need the rescuer to rescue. We need the vets to do the assessment, and then we need the carers to care for it. If we don't have one of those, we're gone. So we need... Yeah, the in, rescuers. So you need involvement really from the whole community. Yeah. So I understand that there's regular there's regular opportunities for wildlife rescue training. Now that doesn't necessarily require the trainee to become an encore rescuer, right? 
No, it doesn't. Um, you could just do the training and just use it for your own information and for your own responses on the side of the road. Yeah, yeah. It will increase your moral obligation to help an animal. <laughs> um, the we hold wildlife rescuers hold uh, courses training on wildlife rescues. We during that course, it's often said. You're on your own journey. You decide where you want to go. If it's only for your own self-interest, fantastic, great. If it's to actually become a transporter, to help cart animals from a carer to a a vet or to the zoos, um, fantastic. But if you want to become a rescuer and get involved, we'll take you as well. So So you define your own journey. And when you say to become a a rescuer, you mean like to become an on-call, like like you are, where you... You um, make yourself available according to the times yeah. that, that, that yeah. you wish. Often you decide if you want to take the rescue, whether it's within what you've got planned for the day, whether it's within the distance you want to travel, um, what species it is, because, for example, I'm not qualified to rescue snakes right, um, and various other animals, but uh, it's up to yourself. You, you commit, you can always say no to a case or don't reply as the case may be. Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, I've done rescue training. And um, it was ten years well ago. <laughs> yeah, it was no, and it was it was great. I'm really glad I did because I'm I'm not an encore rescuer, but I used to live in the country where we I'd have a lot of wildlife around where where I lived, and there was unfortunately there were so many um, incidents on the road, and it means now that I can confidently get out of the car and know what to look for, how to respond in in my own personal instances, yeah. and I think that's a a really worthwhile thing. I'm really glad I did that training. And it was only a day's training, so, yeah, yeah. it was really Yeah, good. our training's only – it runs from about 10 o'clock till 4 o'clock. Uh, it's a one-day training course, and that's around the – I think it's around the $40 mark. Oh, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So can you just give us a crash course in wildlife rescue right now? And I mean, like, the top principles to remember if when driving along – in our car listening to 3CR right now and we see an injured animal on the side of the road, what should we do? Like, so we, we've committed to doing our training, but the training's not for another month. What can we do right now? What can, what can you tell us to do right now if we see an animal that, okay. that needs attention? Yeah. Depending on the animal and the species, I wouldn't recommend anybody going near a microbat or a flying fox because they less than 1%, but there may be a virus involved. So therefore, I'd strongly recommend people don't approach those or snakes because they can be deadly as well. Um, You, first of all, need to look after your own safety. So pull the car up slowly, etc. Get out of the car. Um, Don't walk on the road, walk along the curbside or whichever. Approach the animal with care, watching what it does, how it reacts. The animal is already stressed. It is highly stressed. It's in significant pain. Whether it's a bird with a broken wing, kangaroo with a broken leg, it's in severe pain. So try not to overstimulate the animal where it hops and moves away. Uh, If that's the case, call a wildlife emergency straight away, wildlife rescuers, um, wildlife Victoria. You then need to, if you're able to capture the animal, wrap it up into a towel or a jumper or a blanket and take it to a vet and repractice where they can assess the animal appropriately. Okay. Now, what if that animal that we see on the side of the road is a dead marsupial? What would you do in that instance? As Again, as a 101, yep. what are the basic yep. principles? First of all, make sure the animal's deceased. Okay. 
you don't want to walk up to a kangaroo, which is still... Thrashing around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So make sure the animal's deceased. Uh, you need the idea there. You can check the pupils to see if they react because any animal you touch their eyes or near the eyes, the eyes will react. And so that gives you a level of consciousness. Uh, with that, if the animal is deceased, we need to check the sex of the animal. So kangaroos, wallabies, wombats, possums, they all have pouches and the males all have testicles. Look for the testicles. If it's a male, there's not much we can do. If it's already deceased, we leave the animal to return to nature. I personally remove it from the roadside to put it up into an area where it's going to return to nature. Not As in be, decompose. Yeah. Yep. Um, otherwise, if it's a female, well, you've got to look for the pouch and then we look inside the pouch to see if there's a baby, if there's a female or joey, whether it's a joey wombat, joey possum, etc. And if that's the case, we need to get um, wildlife rescuers out there to assess the animal and to get it into care or whatever action needs to happen with that kangaroo, oh, with that joey. Now, what it, to check her pouch? That seems straightforward, but you know, sometimes some marsupials, it's you don't know. Some people don't know what they're looking for or exactly where to look or you know, and it's there's a bit of an ick factor. Are there some kind of principles have, that you can advise there? Have some gloves in your car so that you can then use that without getting any contamination or anything or whether there be blood on the site as well. They're opening to the pouch on possums, wombats, um, sorry, possums, kangaroos, and wallabies is about where our navel is. So if you gently pull the skin away from there, you'll see an opening form. That's the opening to the pouch. Which can be quite small at times. can be small, especially on a possum. Possums yeah. aren't that big. And wombats, and they start, they're pretty small sometimes for a young wombat. Yeah, a possum, uh, a wombat's pouch is very, very tight and quite unique. Mm. It's the only pouch that actually points backwards. Oh, that's right. So therefore, yes. if you're looking around the belly button for a pouch, you'll never ever see it. Because as the wombat digs, if it was a forward opening pouch... <laughs> It would fill up with dirt. Yeah, that's so right. So their pouch actually goes backwards. Yeah. And uh, if there's a joey in there, it is quite tight yeah, to okay. get into. But kangaroo, if it's a female that may have only had one baby, you'll find it's a little loose. But if she hasn't had babies before, it can be tight as well. Yeah, okay. Oh, also, when yep. you are looking, the pouches can actually go quite a fair way around towards their anus in between their legs. So don't just have a quick peek inside. Sometimes you need to look around the corner, around the bend. Ah, oh, that's right. Yes, good point, because I remember having checked a few animals and then thinking they were clear and then I've kind of reached in a bit further, yes, and found a, like a little baby tucked up right yep. at the back. Yes. Yeah, it's a good call to, yeah, so to be really go, thorough. Yeah, go right to the back as far as you can in the yeah. pouch. And that it can be, I remember the first time I checked a pouch, it was the, the ick factor, I was sort of just aware, it was sort of clammy and strange and, and foreign. And then sort of after the second, third time, I was sort of like, this, yeah. is, this is no drama. Like I'm over, the, the ick factor was gone. Yeah, the pouches are normally, if it's a fresh, deceased animal, there'll still be warmth, there's mm. a fair degree of humidity in there, yeah. etc. And also they have a product called Exudate inside their pouch, which helps the animal move and turn. It's like a oh. lubricant for them. What, what's it called? Exudate. Oh, right. And I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it just helps the animal move. It's yeah, it keeps their skin supple as well. Yeah, right. Interesting. Something else I'd like to add is that joeys in the pouch can actually stay alive with mum deceased for up to a week. 
So therefore, if you've seen a kangaroo and you go, oh, it was there 24 hours ago, we still may have a viable kangaroo inside. Wow, so, okay, yeah. So we need to be conscious that time doesn't matter. We're happy to go out there and check a deceased kangaroo. It might be starting to get all manky and things. We prefer to go out and check it. The other thing is, is if you do have a joey that is attached to a teat, I ask people, do not touch it. Do not take the joey off the teat. They've got incredible suction and you can cause major injuries to that kangaroo. So what could have been a viable kangaroo will then be a deceased joey kangaroo. So please do not remove the joey from a teat. The other one is... But instead to call rescuers and they'll know what to do. Yes, by all means, please call us. Yep. The other thing is, is sometimes if the pouch is really loose, it's an indication that there may be an at-foot joey. And so, therefore, we need to take that joey into care. When you say an at-foot joey, can you elaborate on what that means? It's, it's a joey which is able to move around because when they're first born, they're only jelly bean size and they grow up. So when the, the kangaroo is able to hop around by itself, we call that an at-foot joey, it will still return to mum to suckle. So therefore, when the joey returns to mum, well, if mum's deceased, we'll put a sign on the kangaroo advising councils or road workers or whatever to leave the kangaroo because we've left mum there to encourage joey to come back and suckle from mum, even though she's deceased, then we can take joey into care because joey may not be of a size that he can stay, he or she can stay outside in the environment. Right. We need to take that joey into care. Okay, so, so you leave the, the mother's body there to yes. try and entice the joey back. Yeah, and capture. we'll put a sign yeah. on the on the kangaroo asking that the kangaroo be left alone so that we can then capture the joey and take the joey into care because once the kangaroo mum's gone, joey will also be gone and won't be able to survive. Right, okay. That's good advice. So we've got those, let's say we've, we've understood those absolute basics now of... of how to check an animal on the side of the road, whether it's deceased or whether it's injured. What would a day's training add to that? Hopefully it gives you confidence. There is videos that get shown. We cover numerous animals through turtles, through to lizards, to possums, to birds, to kangaroos, etc. So therefore you get a general overview on a whole lot of animals. For example, reptiles don't need to be put onto heat. So in the cooler months when you've got a possum or a kangaroo or something like that, they're warm-blooded, they should go into a pouch and either have some artificial heat or against our own bodies. Yeah, it's, I guess it's important for people to understand that the training is still a very worthwhile, even if you've learnt the 101 of, of, of rescue. As Graham, you have just described, that a day's, a day's worth of training is never wasted. No, it's, it's valuable. You get a whole lot of information, even if nothing else. You learn how to look at the animal, mm. determine what its injuries are as far as does it need medical care, is yeah. it already deceased, and you can intervene. You yeah. have the confidence to intervene, hopefully yeah. afterwards, and um, that doesn't mean you do rescues every weekend like myself but it means that you can help that animal out in that particular instance. Yep. Now, I keep um, in my the boot of my car, I just, I've got some old pillowcases and I've got a, a box of latex gloves and, and I think I've got a high-vis vest too for, um, for if something happens in the evening after dark. And uh, I think I've got some roadmark paint as well for this purpose. Do you, Would you consider that an okay kit for this, for like a... A blow-in kind of rescuer like myself is—is is that an adequate kit, or is there something I'm kind of missing? That—that's a terrific start. 
You could also have a blanket or some towels there because okay. sometimes with that you're picking up an animal, there may be blood product. Okay. You don't want to get that necessarily on your hands and things, so the gloves are fantastic. Also, don't use latex gloves if you've got a reaction to it. Oh, yeah, top tip, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. But um, And also the paint's a good thing. And some artificial heat packs are also a good thing. So there's some that uh-huh. have got a liquid in that you snap and they harden and they generate heat for around about four to six hours. And then there's also air-activated ones that you shake, available from chemists and things. And they're the, those heat-activated things are for the for the babies out of the pouch? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and then you can put that in with the, uh, beside them. Don't put the, the heat pack on the animal. There's always got to be fabric separating them. Oh, okay, yep. And that way the animal can stay warm and comfortable. Okay. And the road marking paint is to mark um, an animal that's a deceased animal that's been checked. That's correct. So so people don't stop keep stopping yep. to check a deceased yep. animal that's been that's been thoroughly checked. Yeah. As a rescuer, you drive along if you see an animal and it's not marked, you pull over and you check it. And so then if I don't mark it, the next rescuer that yeah. happens to be coming past, and then the animal ends up being checked three or four times. So, so it's a signal to us that the animal's been checked, uh, whether it's a male or a female, and the female's had a joey taken out or not, whatever the case is, but yeah. there's no need for additional people to stop and check that animal. Yeah, That's all it means. The colour of it, whether it's pink, orange, blue, means yeah. nothing. It's yeah. just that the animal has been marked. Yeah, and that's a, like a spray can of road, ca- road marking yeah. paint from the hardware... And you like just a big cross over the animal. Yeah, with I'm a little more particular because there are some people out there that um, tend to defile the animal by taking its feet, oh, a kangaroo, yeah. its arms as back scratches. You go. I've been to Adelaide Airport within the last twelve months. You can get money bags, which is the scrotum of male kangaroos. It's um, so we I spray the feet or both upper and lower feet, the testicles, the ears, and put the big cross on there so that the people that want to take souvenirs can't, and also the tail. That's a great idea. I'm going to start doing that now. That's a, I've never heard of that. I think that's fantastic. I'm going to, I'm going to paint all points of that, yeah. of that animal so no one will... Yeah, there's not much left after I finish. <laughs> Sorry. Great. Sorry, kangaroo, no, but I like for that. your own benefit. Yeah, absolutely, because people souvenirring kangaroo parts is just beyond it's hideous. hideous. Let's just have a song break. We've got um, a song that you've chosen. Tell us, oh, this one by this one by Bette Midler, "Wind Beneath My Wings." Why did you choose that, Graham? Um, although it's a song of inspiration and doesn't have a great deal of relevance, apart from the wings being our birds and raptors things, but it's a song of inspiration and hope, and uh, that's what we get from our animals. We're inspired by them, and um, yeah, we always hold our animals dearly. Beautiful. We'll be back in a second to talk about wildlife carers. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. 
Come on, you know you want one. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. With over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different inclusive sports, meet Paralympians and watch the AFL Wheelchair Challenge. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Monday the 3rd of December from 10 till 3pm at Crown River Walk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio and we've been talking with Graham Linsell, who is a Melbourne-based wildlife rescuer and carer. Now, we've just spent um, the first part of this show talking about wildlife rescue and now let's talk about wildlife care. So, Graham, you care for and you rehabilitate grey-headed flying fox. Did, did you pick that species or did it kind of pick you, so to speak? Um, I think we chose it more than it chose us. Uh, we, the grey-headed flying foxes are classified as vulnerable. If you head down to Yarra Bend, you'll see the flying foxes, and it's a spectacular thing to see them fly out and fly in at dusk and dawn. Um, I can vouch for that. It is. <laughs> Over Abbotsford Convent, they're just yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's a magnificent sight. Um, the reason why we chose those more than anything is that their feed demands aren't so great. We don't take in the what we call the pups, the baby ones that are in that are being rescued now because this is the time that mum's flying around, babies attached to mum, baby falls off sometimes, etc. So therefore we need to take care of them. We take care of the bigger ones, the juvenile through to adults. And their feeding regime is just of an evening. So therefore we give them food of a night and that allows us still to maintain our nine to five day jobs. That's very civilised. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad they work to our hours. <laughs> yeah. Very considerate. Yeah. So do you have exposure risk to lysivirus and the Hendra virus? Yeah, there is a virus called Australian bat lysivirus. We are vaccinated and you need to be vaccinated if you are going anywhere near microbats or grey-headed flying foxes. There is less than a 1% chance that they carry the virus, but nonetheless, it is still there. You cannot go near them if you are scratched or bitten by them, you need to undergo not you need to go to an emergency department and get post contact vaccinations. Okay, it is that serious. So I'd ask, urge people not to go near them. To contact the wildlife rescue group nearby and get them to go out and attend to it. Because okay. yeah. So how many bats have you usually got in your care at any one time? We we have had up to thirteen. Well, it's a busy. Yeah, they're all gorgeous. They've all got their personalities. I bet. Um, and at the moment, there's only about three that we've got in care at the moment. So we've had we've been successful in releasing those other ten back to the wild. Oh, that's fantastic! Do you release them at the same place? 
Um, the main colony for us is at uh, Yarra Bend. Right. There are other small colonies out at Doveton, Geelong, Bendigo. There's now even a smaller colony out towards Warrnambool. So okay. it's the area you need to go, you return them to the closest colony. Okay. How long do you normally keep a bat before you release it? How long is it normally in your care? It depends on its injuries. It's uh, There's no hard and fast rule. Okay. Ideally, if it's got... Uh, a lot of injuries sometimes don't manifest until two weeks after they've come into care because if they've got constriction wounds from being trapped in fruit netting, and I ask people do not use fruit netting, there's other ways you can do it. There's socks to put over your fruit rather than encompassing the whole tree. They come along, they pollinate. They are the ones that give you the fruit, but then you're not letting them have the fruit. Yeah, so come on, let them reap their own rewards. Yeah, hey? they're so important to our ecosystem, aren't they? And yeah, they're critical. Yeah. They're seed dispersers, pollinators. They're critical for our, our old growth forests. That's right. So they are a critical species and very vulnerable. Um, so they can be a minimum of two weeks up to a couple of months if need be, depending on their injuries and if they need to undergo continual vet checks. Do most carers specialise in a species like you do or, or do they do carers typically cover them all the species as required? It's entirely up to the shelter. The shelter, you may have people that uh, deal with birds. You may even have people that just deal in ducks because they love ducks. You may have people that... Uh, deal with the carnivorous birds, magpies, ravens that eat worms and bugs and grubs and things. Um, or you may have people that deal with joeys and wombats. You may have people that deal with bats just like us. So it's up to yourself and how you want to run and how you structure your own wildlife sh- shelter. And so whatever you choose, whatever species you choose, or if you choose them all or however you do it, is there specialist training for each species? And is there like specialist kit and equipment for each species? The demands of the species are unique to each individual animal. So there are similarities between kangaroos and wombats. They like a pouch, they like to be warm, etc. But you wouldn't go putting a kangaroo in an aviary where the bats are kept. So it's really dependent upon the species you've got. You choose the way you want to go. Uh, Is there specific training? If you're interested in dealing with birds, let's say raptors, owls, eagles, falcons, hawks, you go and work with a shelter that has those animals and that way you get that experience through that shelter. So there's no formal training per se? There's not a sort of a regulated training regime that you have to undertake? No, no, there's not. But you have to demonstrate some kind of um, competency to get your licence? Yeah, you work with a shelter for a period of time And that is volunteering. That's raking out pens, whichever, attending to wounds, sweeping up food, picking up the animals, getting them out of the rain, taking them out into the sun. Once all the work's done, you can then have cuddles and playtime, but there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. There's bottles to be washed, etc. Joey kangaroos, ones that are only just getting fur, they need feeds every three or four hours, 24 hours a day. Wow. So it's a dedication. So when you consider you may have 10 kangaroos, over one day that could be you know 40 or 60 bottles that you need to wash <laughs> and care for and fill up and mix formula oh, for, etc. Oh so it's not an easy task. And that's why people go, oh, yeah, I'll just go over and help this shelter. 
it's a full time job yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it sounds absolutely full on. Yeah. So, does being a committed and effective wildlife carer preclude having little kids in the house and or companion animals like cats and dogs, or are they can it all be compatible? It can be compatible. Children will need to be taught how to behave, how to react around the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, kangaroos are sensitive to sound, so you don't want to be having kids screaming. If you have screaming kids, you wouldn't have kangaroos around. Yep. It's advisable not to have domestic pets because we don't know how the pets are going to react to the animals. Some dogs are sight sensitive, so if they see a kangaroo moving in a pouch, they want to go over and attack mm-hmm. it, etc. Also, cats, cat bites. If one, if your cat does happen to attack for some reason a an animal, they do carry bacteria in their saliva, and it needs urgent medical treatment for antibiotics. Mm. So it would be best not to have domestic pets. Does the presence of domestic pets even distress out wildlife, or not necessarily? It's something that they can become accustomed to, but it's more the way the interactions between that pet and that rescued animal. Okay. Uh, if they're not around, it should be fine. But if the animal does show signs of distress, then you've got the problem. What are you going to do? Mm. Are you going to move the kangaroo, cause it further stress to take it to another shelter, or cause, cause stress to yourself and have your animal removed? Now, mm. that's not fair on either. So the best way I'd suggest is not in, not having or not allowing your domestic pets to come in contact with your wildlife. Yeah, just keeping them in different, completely different areas yeah. of the property. Okay. Now, what role does the government play in, in wildlife rescue and care? Do they, do they provide any support services in this area? Oh, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> I can see something um, un- unravelling here. Yeah, right. <laughs> Zip. Uh, yeah, they don't generally tend to do a lot for our rescue groups and for our carers. A lot of it is self-funded. Uh, there are some people that have donations, etc., which they need to keep going. The formula, that, as I said, to feed the joeys is incredible. Mm. Um, the even to toilet the animals, the, the tissues or the wipes, whatever you use to yeah. encourage them to go to the toilet, is uh, they're all costs. The, the government, you are able to apply for a grant, but that's only once a year. And you might get a grant for $500. You might get a grant for maybe 2000 It doesn't go but, that far. No, not when you need pens and other things yeah. to, for the animals that you're keeping or even the food. Yeah, so it is, it's truly a labour of love. Yep. And what about um, the regulations, government regulations? Are they are they onerous or are they quite reasonable to navigate? The regulations, to actually become a shelter and things, they, there are quite strict controls. You are subject to review. They can revoke your licence to be a shelter. They can do spontaneous inspections as well. So what about the relevant laws and how they apply to the broader community? Like do, what legal obligations do we have to uh, to assist injured wildlife? Or is it just a moral obligation? Hopefully we've all got some sense of morals, and that's the biggest thing. So if you see an animal injured, I'd like to think most people would be morally obligated to report it. Once again, we're happy to go out. We'll go out night and day to check on animals. The I don't believe there is any responsibility for somebody to report an animal. As in a legal responsibility. Yeah. And I don't believe that they're a kangaroo that is hit, that there is any fines or anything like that. So we're not after whether you've been 
falling asleep at the wheel and you hit a kangaroo or the kangaroo jumped out in front of you or how you've come about it, our sole interest is in the animal. We're not going to be reporting things to police given that you've had an accident with an animal. Okay. There's a difference between an accident with an animal and causing the animal harm and injury in deliberate, as in going off and as deliberately hunting or chasing or, yeah. Cruelty to animals. Yeah. But so you're not interested in, in how a car crash or a, a, a car a car incident occurred. You're just interested in the yeah. in the animal and that making sure that the animal has the best chance of survival. Yeah, or unfortunately sometimes we also need to euthanise the animal there and then. And that, that happens, but it's at least the animal's not there and suffering. It's, as I said earlier, highs and lows, that's part of the low. Um, saying goodbye or giving the animal its wings, as we call it or going, taking the animal over the Rainbow Bridge. Okay. And what about the role of vets? They're also very critical to us. We need vets that understand wildlife, that are willing to work with wildlife. Uh, there's sometimes vets, unfortunately, will turn wildlife away. Most of them won't. If you can pick up an injured bird and or possum or an animal like that and take it to a vet... There should be no charge because it's not your pet. It is wildlife. So please, I encourage people, if you can pick it up, put it into a box, contain the animal somehow, and take it uh, take it to a vet. Obviously, your large macropods, wallabies, kangaroos, and then also into your wombats, they're not so easy to take. But your possums and birds, yeah, by all means, there should be no charge. Great. Now, I keep reading articles online and in journals and in newspapers that reiterate again and again the extent of our current biodiversity crisis. And I'm not talking just the big, sexy megafauna like elephants and whales and not just the tiny little insects that we know are essential to our food production, but species like koalas and kangaroos that we kind of just expect to be around forever. And humans, have we've just pushed them to the brink. And, and I reckon we have a moral obligation not just to mitigate our destructive actions and our lifestyles that are threatening these species, but also to help these individual animals because it's the individual animals that make up the species. And I couldn't walk past a baby crying in, in its dead mother's arms. So similarly, I can't do the same if that if that baby is a non-human animal. Yeah, I completely agree and I applaud you for it. The one thing people don't know or are unaware of, cutting down a tree... Like I said before, there's possums living in the trees. If you cut down the tree, you're taking away their habitat. We have microbats. We have birds that live in the tree. So even one tree could be a habitat for a multitude of yeah. animals. So have a look. Investigate what's in the mm. tree before you go to remove it. But then you've got the mass clearing that happens mm. in deforestation of areas. The The habitat loss is, is incredible there. Mm. Um, farmers say that they're inundated with kangaroos. Well, sometimes they're pushed into those areas mm. because their habitat is diminishing. Elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. They, they've got to go elsewhere. Sometimes it's for water in the heat, you know, in the summer months, but also people think that kangaroos are just multiplying exponentially. That's a fallacy. Mm, absolutely. The kangaroos, only one in about 30 kangaroos will make it to full adulthood of 15 to 20 years. There's a high mortality rate of infants, juveniles and adult kangaroos. So they can't actually be uh, 
infesting areas and overpopulating. I, I just can't see that has any credibility. Yeah, yeah. I know that we've pushed, um, I think, in Queensland now that the um, koalas are, have become a, 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 some threatened classification. Things are becoming quite critical for animals that we've just been taking for granted in our Australian landscape. Yeah. And it's not getting any better. It's getting dramatically, dramatically worse, and it's happening very fast. Yeah. I keep reading we're losing something like 200 species of the, of the planet every day. I mean, it's insane yeah. what we're doing, and yeah. there's no, it doesn't seem to be any respite. Well, recently on the ABC, I think they announced that we've lost over 50% of our, in, our vertebrates in the last 20 years oh, of our species. Oh, yeah, and so crazy. it's declining at a great rate. Yeah. As I um, previously said, the grey-headed flying foxes, they're, they're vulnerable. We can't continue losing mm. these species. Yeah, and we can't... And subsequently, we can't continue to lose these individuals either because the individuals are, are what make the species. They make the population. They make the population. We need to save them individual by individual wherever we can. I I'd couldn't encar- agree more. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> I have a... A kindred spirit. I'd encourage everyone to do wildlife rescuer training as a bare minimum, and there's lots of training opportunities out there. Graham, do you can you steer people steer people to some upcoming training opportunities? Um, there is a basic training course that we have at, uh, with a group called Wildlife Rescuers Incorporated. They do a day training. As I said, it's about forty dollars. Uh, it's six hours. Uh, anybody that wants to come along, uh, we mentioned during the course at the end of it that it's your journey. You decide what you want to do with the information. If you want to become a full-time rescuer, or not full-time, but dedicate your time to rescuing, welcome aboard. If you just want it for general information, for your own comfort and personal levels, by all means. Um, And then after you've got experience in dealing with birds, possums, some of the smaller species, we then have advanced training for kangaroos, wallabies, wombats, etc. because we won't send people out doing those at the first instance. Okay, cool. So where can they find information about those first-level training courses? They're, they're, if you look through Facebook, there's a Facebook page, Wildlife Rescuers Incorporated, and you can find the information there. Okay, brilliant. Now, a final point. There's heat waves that are expected this summer. There's, I think there will be some ferocious heat waves this summer what are the signs of heat exhaustion in a native animal and what should we do when we we identify those signs a lot of the animals will show rapid breathing shallow breathing almost panting to put it to a domestic dog um you with kangaroos you can also see them licking their forearms that's to cool the arm and thus by cooling the arm moisture will help cool their body like the pulse point yeah, oh, just on their forearms, okay. yeah. Right. yeah. Yep. So they'll do that to try and cool themselves down. Yep. The, one of the best things you can do is have a bowl in your backyard of water, but I urge people to put some sticks in there. So if an animal or bird or something does fall in, a lizard, there's a way and means for that animal to get out. Okay. If we just have a bowl and the animal falls in, it's going to flounder and unfortunately pass away. Yeah, okay. So have some sticks there beside the bowl, in the bowl, so that the animal can also get out of the water should it fall into that situation. Okay, so you're saying the best thing in signs of heat exhaustion is just to avail water to wildlife? Yeah, if you can. If you can. Uh, Sometimes out in the country properties it's not around. Um, You do the best you can. You may need to be inventive. Sometimes you might get a bucket and take a bucket out towards that animal and let it come to the water. Don't try and go, here, kangaroo or koala, take this water. Don't stress it any further. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it there. 
if it wants it, it will come towards it. Okay. You do a lot for animals. I also are coming across and to show my dedication to the animals, I've also now elected to become a member of Animal Justice Party and I've now been pre-selected for the seat of Pasco Vale. That shows now and gives puts a government on notice that we are serious about the animals. Animals should and must be considered in decisions that are made. East-West Link across through Parkville, we were against that because nobody knew what damage that was going to happen to wildlife or even the zoo. So, you know, we need to consider if we wish to continue as a species, our biodiversity in this planet, animals must be considered. That's fantastic. I'm so pleased that you're standing up for animals in in, in the political forum. It's brilliant. I wish you lots of luck. Thank you. I'll need it. No, no, it's great. You know, like it's all we need people standing up, even if it's not to. um, Sometimes we know we're not going to win the fight, but it's worth having the fight anyway. Oh, we've got to be in the fight. Yeah, we've got to be in the fight. In this time that we've been in the studio, Graham has had several calls coming through on his phone and he just wants to just maybe demonstrate the calls in this in this hour that has elapsed what kind of calls have you had to let go through to another rescuer graham yeah um just looking at my phone at the moment we've had uh, an unusual case that there's a goat in epping that appears to have some trouble at the moment although it's not wildlife we we can't sort of sometimes let those animals go. They also need our care. I've had a br- call for a brush tail that needs help in reservoir. There's a kangaroo that needs to go to a vet immediately um, from a carer to a vet that's still open. And also we've just had a baby possum which has been discovered in um, out near Dandenong. So this is just a group. There is another group called Wildlife Victoria. They operate from Mildura to Mallacoota and everywhere in between. So if you're out in the country areas, I ask that you contact them. But uh, that's a snapshot for an air, a group of people that do rescues in the north, north and northeast of Melbourne. Well, so in one hour you've had... Four, Four incidents yeah. from your one small organisation. Yes, correct. That paints a very interesting picture. Thank you, Graham. So I should probably provide the numbers for people who do come across injured wildlife or deceased marsupials with joeys in their pouches. If you live in the north or northeastern suburbs of, of Melbourne, the number you can call is 0417-506-941 and that will put you in touch with Wildlife Rescuers Incorporated. Otherwise, you can call Wildlife Victoria and they cover the whole state of Victoria. Their number is 1300 094 535. You can get those numbers off Facebook or just Google them. Thank you to Graham Linsall of Animal Rescuers Incorporated. That's it for today. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and you can email us info at freedomofspecies.org. We're going to leave you with a final song, another song that Graham has suggested. Can you introduce this one? Uh, this song is a classic Australian song by Daddy Cool. I think you probably already know what I'm going to say. It's Eagle Rock. Not for the lyrics so much. I've just got that image of the eagle dancing, waddling down the street. It's, it's just an iconic image to me and it's a, a great Australian classic song. See you next week. Now listen, huh?
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.